0: We lost Davy in the Korean War, still don't know what for, doesn't matter anymore, so go the lyrics of the John Prine song, Hello in There, sung here by the iconic Joan Baez. We hear at Solution to Balance, and our guest today, Judy Monroe Layton, like so many historians, could make the same observation when the question was asked, what was the war about, and why were so many young lives lost? For far too many wars, the answer is still... Don't know what for. Doesn't matter anymore. But it does matter. The Judy Mineral Leighton and Solutions of Violence. Welcome, friends. We are Solutions of Violence, a program of and sponsored by WFMP 106.5 FM Radio. We're so happy you have joined us today in our exploration of peace and nonviolence. I'm Jim Johnson. Jamie McMillan and I are your hosts for Solutions of Violence. Our technical engineer is Carolyn Brooks Johnson. The following is part of WFMP's Public Affairs Educational Programming. The views expressed are those of our guests, not the station. If you'd like to share your views, you may contact us by sending us an email to solutionsofviolence18 at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Our guest today is Dr. Judy Monroe-Layton. Judy Monroe-Layton began her teaching career at Roosevelt Elementary School in Louisville's West End in 1973. She earned a Ph.D. in history at the University of Kentucky in 1994. She has been a history professor at Louisville's Jefferson Community College for 20 years and now a professor emeritus. Judy has long been an activist for peace and justice. On the week following Memorial Day, we here at Solutions to Violence understand the need for security and are grateful for those who made the ultimate sacrifice on behalf of their country. But we also believe that history demonstrates mistakes that led to unjustifiable and unnecessary war. Sunday, May 29, 2022, the Courier Journal published the op-ed titled, quote, Memorial Day, Remembering Soldiers Who Gave All, Came Home in Flag-Draped Coffins, end quote, penned by the historian Barry Craig. The Barry Craig op-ed was a tribute to those U.S. soldiers that fought so gallantly in World War I and World War II, but also a reminder of the horrors of war. Our Solution to Violence guest, Dr. Judy monroe Layton, explains the mistakes that led after World War I and World War II. Dr. Layton also explains how the Treaty of Versailles, which ended World War I, led to a new world order that is the cause of much of the world conflict we see today. Judy monroe Layton, welcome to Solution to Violence. Thank you. We have asked Judy to appear on our show today to discuss the Treaty of Versailles, the historical treaty, the treaty that ended World War I. Judy, some might ask, why study history? Why shouldn't we be concerned about what is happening in the hearing now?
1: Okay, uh, why study the Treaty of Versailles? The Treaty of Versailles was one of the most significant post-war settlements ever, and it was a major turning point of the 20th century. You may know some details of the treaty which had a devastating impact on Germany and Europe, but it was much more than that. You, the audience, are in very good company if you have never had a history class that carried you through World War I, much less any other events in the 20th century. So you might not realize that the treaty was a truly epic restructuring of the world order 100 years ago.
0: Yeah, a treaty that happened 100 years ago and it still has relevance to what is happening today. So, how did the US get involved in World War I?
1: Well, uh, again from your history you may know some of the details, but we'll think back a hundred years. 1919 takes us back to President Woodrow Wilson, who was first elected in 1912 and then re-elected in 1916 while Europe was engulfed in the war that would become known as World War I. Wilson was a progressive with many important domestic achievements to his credit. He adamantly opposed U.S. entry into Europe's bloodbath after it started in 1914. Everyone was aware that it was two rigid European military alliances, the British, the French, and the Russians, against Germany and Austria, which compounded the numerous crises over imperialist control, and this plunged Europe into war after a failed six-week diplomatic whirlwind, and the war started on August 3, 1914. At that time, Wilson promoted and maintained neutrality as official U.S. policy. But America's close ties to Britain, as well as German submarine warfare against U.S. ships, made neutrality impossible. In April 1917, Wilson spoke before a joint session of Congress and asked for a declaration of war. He left the chamber with tears streaming down his face. But Wilson used the U.S. entry into the war as the opportunity to outline his plans in what he called the 14 points for a progressive post-war
0: settlement. There is some irony here, Judy, because Germany ended up getting most of the blame for World War I but actually Germany had tried to broker a peace settlement between Russia and Austria-Hungary.
1: Yes, that's true. But by the time that, um, yeah, the war started, anyway, despite that fact, so.
0: Yes, yes, so uh, what was the importance of of Wilson's 14 points? We've heard that about Uh that in in our history books. Right, and that's
1: something that some people may be somewhat familiar with. It might just be a topic in passing or whatever. But Wilson, as I mentioned, he was a progressive. In the truest sense of the word, he he grew up he uh, in his he was a part of the Progressive Era, and based on his study of history, college professor. He was a professor of history uh, at uh, Princeton and also president of Princeton, and he was a Progressive uh, governor of New Jersey, and that's what launched him into national fame in 1912 and made him a candidate on the Democratic ticket for president he also had from his personal experience a strong opposition to war he was born in 1856 which in virginia which made him a 5 year old when the civil war started he saw war hmm. up close and personal and he also experienced defeat and that he carried that with him the rest of his life and as a progressive he believed that war was uh, it wasn't a, a sensible way to operate it wasn't efficient war was on the wrong track. He firmly believed that. And he was also convinced that the harsh peace settlements that had been the style of warfare in Europe forever, for generations, inevitably led to the next conflict. So when he outlined his 14 points, in the first uh, group of points, of the well, of 14 points he presented a strategy for the future based upon his belief that war was folly to put it mildly instead of taking territory from the vanquished enemy and imposing devastating reparations as had always been done in the past Wilson wanted the victors to allow Germany to maintain its territory its finances and its sovereignty. In addition, in uh, another section of the 14 points, Wilson called for all European colonial powers to begin the process of restoring independence to their colonies. This was truly a far reaching document. Just imagine how that idea was received in Europe, where the powers held on to their colonies as their God given right and they got economic prosperity from those colonies. Of course, Britain and France desperately needed US troops to defeat Germany, and this temporarily muted their opposition to Wilson's 14 points. Mm. Lastly, of the 14 points, Wilson outlined what he called the League of Nations as an international organization to prevent Future wars. This was his premier goal of 14 points, and the 14 points obviously had a, a much far-reaching impact than America or Europe.
0: So, Judy, how did the 14 points appeal to Chinese students and Vietnamese nationalists who lived under colonial rule Okay. Britain?
1: At the time he wrote the 14 points, there were many parts of the world that had been uh, chopped up, sliced and diced, and given to the powers, and. So he was making a, an international appeal here. And Wilson's proposal for eventual independence for areas under colonial rule was read and celebrated by Chinese student intellectuals. Some, hmm. you, may, you may know these names, the, the names that Americans are more familiar with in China, Mao Zedong. Really? Zhou and Lai. Uh-huh. and his wife, Deng Ying Chao. These three were students at Beijing University in, uh, in, in 1919, 100 years ago, and they read the 14 points and they uh, expected that Wilson would be able to speak on behalf of China for territory that had been taken from China. At the same time, believe it or not, Vietnamese nationalists like Ho Chi Minh believed he read Wilson's 14 points and he believed that Wilson's proposal regarding the colonies would help Vietnam gain independence from France. From
0: France yeah.
1: Ironically Ho Chi Minh was in Paris in 1919 working various jobs as a cook as a painter he went to Versailles, mm-hmm. to the meetings, mm-hmm. where he hoped to make a direct appeal to Woodrow Wilson, but really? he was rudely turned away at the gate. Yeah, and at all events in the ni- in the twentieth century, that would stand as a significant lead to uh, America's tragedy in Vietnam. In Vietnam, absolutely. Yeah. So that is how the, the fourteen points appealed beyond Europe to Chinese
0: and Vietnamese nationalists. So Judy, what happened when Wilson delivered the 14 points to to the Allies at at Versailles? Okay, well, the war dragged on.
1: And by 1908, I mentioned that America uh, declared war, entered the war in April of 1917. Believe it or not, it took 13 months for American troops to arrive in France. Imagine today. You get an ally, say, we're right with you. We'll see you in 13 months.
0: Yeah, in those days. Yeah, yeah.
1: right. And so it took that time to prepare America militarily to enter the war. By the time American troops arrived, Europe was devastated. Both sides were depleted Mm -hmm. by warfare, lack of food supplies. The populations were surviving on very few calories a day. And the war slugged on. Uh, America was involved militarily in the war for the last six months of horrific fighting. And as we know, on November 11th, 1918, at 11 a.m., 11:11 11, 11, at 11 o'clock, marked the moment of the German armistice. So Wilson immediately made plans to sail to Britain, where he was celebrated as a hero. This reception built his confidence that the victorious allies would embrace his post-war plan and he uh and he was always certain he was right so he was sure they were right with him but after four and a half years of brutal war the British and the French were more than skeptical and they weren't so certain they wanted to change the way they had always dealt with post-war settlements. At Versailles where the meetings took place, they listened politely to Wilson's 14 points before he announced that he planned to return to America. He had done his work, he presented his ideas, he was sure they would stand behind him, and he would be responsible for a peace settlement that would end future wars. The Allies escorted Wilson to the coast to board a ship, on which he would return to the United States. Just imagine the scene on the coast of France as the gangplank was raised and Wilson was on his way back home. The British and the French officials waved him off and returned to Versailles where they wrote the treaty as they wanted. They awarded to France the alsace Lorraine, which was Germany's major industrial area. At the time it would be like America giving up Gary, Indiana and Cleveland, Ohio and all steel production areas. They forced Germany to pay a massive debilitating war debt. And in fact, it was uh, basically, you just keep paying till we tell you to stop. And of course, they demanded that Germany accept total blame for the war. Wilson watched these developments in horror He was very disappointed, but he had no choice but to accept the document because it included his League of Nations, on which he pinned all his hopes. He returned to Versailles in June 1919 to sign the treaty on June 28th, which was the fifth anniversary of the assassination of the Archduke in Sarajevo. This was his extra little dig to the
0: Germans and the Which Austrians. Which is what initiated the conflict in the first place. Ab-
1: absolutely correct.
0: So Between was, Russia and, and Austria yeah. And Hungary, yeah.
1: So this June 28th will be the 100th anniversary of the treaty, and it'll be the 105th anniversary of the start of the war. So that is how he delivered the 14 points, and he was a very hopeful, optimistic man, uh, but he realized that his and the uh, Allies totally upended his uh, plans, and he really had no opportunity to have uh, any say. And so he um, signed the treaty, uh, knowing that all he would get out of it would be the League of Nations.
0: So Judy, how did the Chinese students in, in Beijing in May 1919 react to the Treaty of Versailles treatment of China?
1: Well actually, two months before the official signing ceremony that I mentioned, the section of the Treaty of Versailles regarding China. Keep in mind this was a very extensive document with numbers of sections Mm -hmm. that dealt with areas of the world. Uh, The section that regarded uh, China reached Beijing, the news of it reached Beijing, where students at Beijing University, remember Mao Zedong, Zhou Enlai, and his wife Deng Xiaoping, along with hundreds of other students, anxiously awaited news about the future sovereignty of Chinese territory that Japan had occupied during the war, took advantage of Chinese weakness. This actually was um, six years, eight years, sorry, after the the end of the emperor, there was no more emperor of China. China was not unified at this time. China was ruled by warlords and this was a tremendous humiliation to the proud Chinese. And it also meant that since there was no more emperor, there were, were the exam structure that was centuries old was no longer in place. So young people like Mao and Joe and Dung were, uh, were now able to study outside ideas. They were open to new ideas. And among those ideas, of course, was the ideas that Wilson presented. And so they were waiting uh, for the news of the treaty. And with Wilson's 14 points in mind, these students hoped that China would be, re, would be treated in a respectful way and would regain control over its important Shandong Peninsula. And the Shandong Peninsula is in a very crucial place of China, it's the birthplace of Confucius, it's a very important area of trade and commerce, it's located to the east of Beijing, it's not out in the boondocks, it's not Wyoming, it's more like Baltimore. Okay, it's right there. Mm -hmm. And that is the area that Japan controlled, uh, took over from the Germans during the war. So these students were hoping against hope that they would be treated in a respectful way. On May 4th, 1919, and by the way, the anniversary of May 4th is Derby Day in Louisville (laughs) this year, okay? On that. that specific day, word reached Beijing. And when the students heard that the Treaty of Versailles would allow newly industrialized Japan to keep Shandong, they erupted in a massive student protest on Tiananmen Square. And this is of course the place that we became familiar with in 1989 with the student demonstrations, and that was 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so uh, there's historical parallels of some kind. The 1919 student protest launched what is known in China as the May 4th Movement. So -hmm. if you were in China, you would be definitely aware of the May 4th Movement. It is a a major event of 20th century China Mm -hmm. and it marks a major turn in Chinese history. Mm -hmm. And it was because these students were so furious that China was weak and impotent to the point that it could not even control its own territory. Of course, they were angry at the treatment of the uh, powers in Versailles, but they were even more angry and frustrated that their own country could not maintain its own sovereignty. These young students, Mao, Zhou, Dong, and others vowed to strengthen China. To achieve that goal, they joined the new Chinese Communist Party when it was formed in 1921. Mm -hmm. They were minor figures in the party, but they became leaders of the party as we know, and Mao and Zhou were the two premier leaders of uh, the People's Republic of China, until they both died in 1976. Dung lived longer, Dong Ying Chow lived longer. Uh, I think she died in 2000 or something, uh, hmm.
0: 1995. Okay. okay. So, yeah, so what was, what, what was Ho Chi Minh's reaction to the treaty? Ho Chi Minh from Vietnam, uh, when he returned to Vietnam?
1: Okay, in 1919, Ho returned to Vietnam in disgust. He was furious, of course and he established the Vietnamese Communist Party as a tool to claim independence from French colonial rule. He devoted every minute of his life to that goal until he died in 1969, while American troops were still fighting. He didn't live mm-hmm. to see Vietnamese independence, and he drove out the French, in 1954, and he urged his comrades to be patient because he envisioned eventual victory over the Americans as well. And so the Treaty of Versailles was a turning point in China and in Vietnam as a, a motivation mm-hmm. to uh, mm-hmm. for young people to uh, achieve independence for their country.
0: So the, the Treaty of Versailles had far-reaching implications for both China and yeah, Vietnam. Absolutely, yes. absolutely. Yeah, something I, I didn't know. And so.
1: in Japan too, because the men at uh, Versailles uh, looked at the situation, they said, well, look at this, Japan was already uh, modernized, industrialized, yes. they had a mm-hmm. rapid, I mean, that's a whole nother story, but they modernized very quickly Transition, and yeah. left, uh, they were producing steel mm-hmm. at the time of World War One, and China was backward. So they said, oh, should we go with a country that can help us in Asia, a steel-producing, industrialized country, or backward China? Well, that was a Mm no-brainer. And they picked Japan, with total disregard for China.
0: Did the Treaty of Versailles also lead to the conflict over Manchuria between Japan?
1: What it did was it it gave Japan the green light to move in. uh, Iron ore was located in Manchuria. So the Japanese empire needed... Resources and that, it what it what the Treaty of Versailles did was it uh, made it impossible for any world power. It comes up a little farther at the end here, but uh, it, no way to stop Japan from doing that. Exactly right.
0: Okay, so the Treaty of Versailles, the demands made by the Treaty of Versailles just devastated Germany. Yes, took away mm-hmm. almost all of its shipping. Mm-hmm one-tenth of its, of its territory, mm-hmm. uh, along with the population. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thirty billion dollars annually for reparations, mm-hmm. which was way more, as mm-hmm. John Maynard Kingsley pointed out, way more than Germany could ever afford to pay. It, it really threw Germany into an economic morass. Mm-hmm. And that depression spread through mm-hmm. Europe, because mm-hmm. Germany had been the economic engine mm-hmm. in Europe. So, What was the Treaty of Versailles mean for Hitler in Germany? Okay. As you mentioned,
1: the Treaty of Versailles brought Germany to its knees. Yeah. And by 1923, uh, the inflation rate was so uh, severe in Germany, you know, thousands of percentage points of inflation, that wiped out the middle class in Germany. Yeah. The Treaty of Versailles was the ultimate gift to Adolf Hitler. He waved it in the air and whipped up German nationalist sentiment by denouncing the war debt, which crippled their economy, the taking of territory that insulted their sovereignty, and the fact that Germany got total blame for the war.
0: During the uh, 20s,
1: exactly, and during the 20s, there was efforts made to ease up the economic burden on Germany, but then the 1929 stock market crash and the depression that followed put mm-hmm. Germany in the exact position that led to the uh, Hitler's rise to power in 1933. Yeah. Yeah. And we all know how that turned out.
0: <laughs> yeah, and even that's in their high school
1: Even schools. that you get in high school books, yes. Oh, and, and then the Treaty of Versailles, it, to look a little beyond it, Uh, It also had a direct impact on uh, Eastern Europe. Yugoslavia was established. Mm -hmm. Austria-Hungary was established. I mean, uh, there was an Austria and Hungary. And the Treaty of Versailles also chopped up the defunct Ottoman Empire, which was brought down in World War I. Mm -hmm. And this was done uh, to establish a British mandate over newly drawn Iraq. There was no Iraq before the Treaty of Versailles. Yeah. So this major territory was given to Britain as a new colony. Britain was also given Transjordan, which we know as Jordan today, Mm -hmm. and Palestine. Mm -hmm. The treaty gave, uh, allowed the French to establish its mandate over Syria. So in fact, the Treaty of Versailles, uh, absolutely, this new political colonial arrangement, absolutely violated Wilson's proposal for eventual independence of the colonies. It added new colonies. They grabbed more, as much as they could get. Colonized it, more. It, this led to never-ending chaos, violence, and upheaval in the countries— that we now call the, quote, Middle, Middle East. Middle East,
0: yeah. And Judy, weren't those, those countries, for uh, my understanding, is that those countries in the Middle East, the, the Arab nations, were in relative peace for mm-hmm. about 100 years before World War One?
1: Well, they were sort of in an area that didn't demand a lot of attention. They were under the Ottoman Empire, and it was a kind of a crumbling, debilitated uh, arrangement, but it worked. It worked. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so they took advantage of the fact that it appeared nothing, it was available. Mm-hmm. And so they took it. Yeah.
0: So what happened to Wilson's League of Nations? I thought that was just a brilliant concept. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, here's really one of the saddest parts of the story. Because Wilson signed the treaty with the hopes that his league would uh, prosper. He returned to the United States after the treaty ceremony in 1919. And he embarked on a massive effort to get the Senate to pass the Treaty of Versailles, which included his baby, the League of Nations. Uh, this would require a two-thirds vote in the Senate, like every other treaty. That's why there aren't too yes. many treaties. It takes a lot to get a two-thirds vote in the U.S. Senate. Maybe even on the fact today's Friday. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Wilson went on a cross-country speaking tour yeah. to sell the league as the world's best hope to prevent future wars. Yeah. He gave his heart and soul to this effort. During a speech... He was at that time, right? Well, he suffered uh, what we would probably now identify as um, high blood pressure hypertension, which had, was untreated, and yeah. he suffered a number of uh, episodes during his adulthood. Uh, he was very a strict, rigid, hard on himself, raised by, uh, in a very uh, a rigid Presbyterian family. So he, had, yeah. he, he mm-hmm. was his own worst enemy in that way. In, uh, so On this cross-country tour, he gave a speech in Pueblo, Colorado in September 1919. Mm-hmm. And as he was speaking, he collapsed after yeah. suffering a stroke. Mm-hmm. He was taken back to Washington by train Never to fully recover. Yep, yep. and you can see the implications of this physical downfall on his uh, hopes mm-hmm. to establish the League of Nations. The Senate refused to pass the Treaty of Versailles. Republican isolationists like Henry Cabot Lodge Sr. and others yep. wanted to humiliate Wilson. Fearful they refused of,
0: to pass the. The treaty. The the treaty.
1: So once America did not sign the treaty, they never became members of the League either.
0: Okay, I see what you're saying.
1: Yeah. So the U.S. never joined the League of Nations.
0: Yeah. And the fact
1: that the U.S. was not a member, this rendered the League useless when international crises exploded in the 1930s with Hitler's expansion in Europe And as you mentioned earlier, this is when Japan moved its armies into Manchuria to secure needed resources, iron ore, to build its military government, and there was no one to stop them. Uh, The the great power America, Britain, France were crippled by depression. They were in no position to take any stand against Germany or uh, Japan. And so Wilson's great dream
0: died. No position to take, take a position against Japan or Germany, or Germany. Yeah,
1: Hitler and the German uh, military. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yes. Yeah, yeah. There was nobody things. there to stop them, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so uh, that's the sad ending to that story. Uh, Wilson died in 1924. As I said, he was an invalid for the rest, the rest of the days of his life, and he didn't live to see what the eventual outcome. But he predicted it, and he knew it, and it happened as he. Uh, fear.
0: But the United States never recognized Japanese conquest of Manchuria. Not officially, but it
1: didn't matter, because Japan did it. They were they were unstoppable. And once they took Manchuria, they turned their armies on China in 1937. The World War II started in Asia when the Japanese attacked China in 1937. There was no stopping them. They moved south. They moved. They took over Vietnam. They moved into Indo- Indonesia, what we call Indonesia, for oil, and uh, Japan. Japan, and that's mm. when America said, "You're not taking, you're not getting it, the oil in Indonesia. We want it," and that that led to the standoff that prompted Pearl Harbor and drew yeah. America into the war. Yeah,
0: but but the fact that the United States did not recognize the Manchurian annexation pretty much angered the, the Japanese people. They were not happy with that. No,
1: they were not. But the yeah they were under military rule so, yeah. So the military uh, the military needs were insatiable, and they could have cared less what America thought.
0: Hmm. So um, let's get back to the Treaty of Versailles. The global what, impact. What was the global impact of the Treaty of Versailles, Judy? You...
1: Well, in nineteen the nineteen nineteen Treaty of Versailles, it reconfigured the political maps of Europe, Yugoslavia, Iraq, Syria. Palestine, China, and really places too numerous even to mention. It was a very, very extensive document. And 100 years later, we watch in horror news stories that prove the impact of the treaty in territorial disputes, political chaos, violence, every day of the week. The chaos that is the direct result in the the Middle uh, East mm -hmm, in the Middle East and we we've uh, experienced uh, from the American perspective a war in Vietnam uh, lingering crises related to China uh, in our attempts to put down the communists uh, it it put us in a very uh, bad position that's been very complicating for the 20th century and into the 21st
0: what about the Korean War
1: well Korea was under Japanese control after 1895. So Korea was sort of a peripheral, I mean, nobody cared about Korea. It was it was Japanese territory. So the Treaty of Versailles in some ways gave Korea, um, Japan the right to maintain its control over Korea also. And uh, Korea, if you ever, if you want to feel sorry for anybody on the globe, make it Korea because they suffered under Japanese occupation until 1945 when it was divided in the U.S. Pentagon to give uh, the Soviets the right to take the Japanese surrender in the North and the Americans the right to take the Japanese surrender in the South. It's supposed to be temporary, but as you know, here we sit uh, 74 years later. So Koreans are really its own sad story. Uh, And then got caught up in the Cold War. And the Korean War started in 1950 to 53.
0: And yeah, yeah, and the Korean War was devastating for North Korea. It just
1: oh, absolutely. So well, it, it... yeah,
0: the division
1: was devastating in North Korea because the Koreans,
0: they didn't deserve it. You know,
1: they did not deserve it. Uh, they were divided, and the North under Soviet rule became a backward Soviet satellite, and America poured all resources into the South to make it a,
0: a Industrial. communist engine. Yeah,
1: yeah,
0: and. Uh, you can un- sort of understand why the North Korean political leadership is kind of oh yeah, leery of the United States. Oh, absolutely,
1: and, yeah, absolutely. And they they have they have a, a family of leaders. You know, we're on a third or fourth generation of a family uh, that was nobody would want to live under the rule of. And it's and, and after World War II in 1945, another major turning point at the end of a, a horrific war, uh, America was determined to um, eliminate any, uh, the assumption was any communist was tied to the Soviet Union. Well, Ho Chi Minh was not tied to the Soviet Union. He used communist tactics and the Leninist party structure to achieve his goal. Likewise, Mao Zedong. of Vietnamese independence. A Vietnamese independence. And likewise, Mao envisioned a strong unified China And he was not wildly impressed with America's man in China, uh, Chiang Kai-shek. And that led to America taking sides and the side that America supported lost and that complicated everything. Uh, So uh, we got ourselves in a lot of, uh, just a gigantic mess in Asia. And and that doesn't even mention what happened in the Middle East, which those issues kind of came
0: to a head a little bit later. I guess you'd say. Mm, Yeah. Discovery of oil. and Yeah. So, but a lot of the conflict that is occurring now in the Middle Mm -hmm. East is Mm -hmm. pretty much directly related to the Treaty of Versailles and the demands that the British and French government Mm -hmm. and the division that they implemented Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. the Ottoman Empire. Right. Yeah. So, in Vietnam, the United States, Evan Thomas... Walter Isaacson pointed out that the United States decided to support the French in their Mm -hmm. colonialization Mm -hmm. of Vietnam, Mm -hmm. which was totally unjustified Mm -hmm. because they wanted to rearm Germany. And the French said, no, we don't want to rearm Germany because we just fought two wars with Germany. Mm -hmm. But then the United States, uh, the Truman wise men, decided, well, look, France, if you agree to rearm Germany, we'll support you in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. so Well, that no. was a
1: decision that, uh, like uh, Wilson, Franklin Roosevelt envisioned colonial independence. He could see that the colonies were the root of all evil, really, and would lead to the next war. Uh, but he died. He, he died. Actually, he died. Today's the anniversary of his death, April 12th. He died um, without any resolution to what would happen, and Francophiles in the State Department guided American policy in support of France. That's right. And immediately, Americans supported France in 1945 and never, ever said no to France.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And that led to the first Indochina War, followed by the American War in Vietnam.
0: The Truman and the Wise Men did not support Roosevelt's vision. Mm-hmm. colonialization
1: well yeah. yeah it was the the die was cast before really truman had anything to say about it but yeah that's that and it, it was a fear of communism misguided we can look back and say
0: what were during, you thinking during, during the joseph yeah. McCarthy era mm-hmm. yeah part yeah, of yeah, it that kind that of fed was that, domestic yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah yeah so let me ask one more question about the league mm-hmm. of nations and because it, it it could have been such a turning point mm-hmm. maybe they call us a revisionist if we go too far in that direction but Would the League of Nations, had it been implemented... Mm -hmm. Ben Harrison points out that even though the political leadership did not support the League of Nations, millions of people throughout Mm -hmm. Europe and the United States protested in support Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of the League of Nations.
1: But the powers that be, the big four in Versailles, were not willing to look in a new way at a post-war settlement. They were like, we won, we get land, we get money, you take the blame, and they could not see or accept any change in that misguided and totally failed way of operating. Uh, despite Wilson's really heartfelt efforts to, and he was he was convinced that the war in that we know as World War One was so brutal and so. Uh, Devastating to Europe, that of course they'll see the light now. Well, they didn't.
0: First modern war.
1: Yeah, they—they—that's you know they didn't uh, have that impact. Instead, they said it's ours. We're taking it. We get the spoils of war. If that had—if that would have had to change, to accept the League of Nations, and neither was accepted.
0: But this is a much different history than what our high school te- uh, mm-hmm. teaches, because they—they right. they teach the Germany like like the Treaty of Versailles was totally responsible for World War mm-hmm. I, when in fact, Germany had tried to broker a peace deal between Russia and Austria.
1: Mm-hmm. So... You're talking in 1914? In 1914. Yeah, yeah. yeah that was so, a lost cause because if Europe was on, we could learn a lesson now about what can happen when diplomacy spins out of control. And if they, it took six weeks, in a
0: six week period of time, um, europe ended up in this war yeah yeah so a couple more questions here Judy. Did, did the league if it had been implemented well it did there was exist. a league there was a league. yeah there was yeah. a league so did it have the authority to confiscate weapons of mass destruction and
1: i don't think they, that wasn't the issue at the day the, uh the league of nations really never got off the ground because the u.s was not involved but there right. was a league and maybe it would have gone along, fine. It served some kind of purpose, but the um, economic depression that opened the way for the rise of Hitler, and when Hitler basically dared the League stop me, and there was no League to stop him, there was no functioning organization to stop him. And the, well, Jack- the League
0: of Nations had the authority to intervene in Germany at that time. They might have been able
1: Earth. to, but they no because the members of the League were in economic turmoil themselves. And so yeah. so he took advantage of that, and so did the Japanese. Yes. So it was just a weakened, defunct organization. Yeah. And that's why when the United Nations was established, they made efforts to strengthen that idea.
0: Yeah, so. but that was not Wilson's <laughs> vision. He wanted a much stronger, much yes. more...
1: Yeah, he wanted a viable organization. And he was convinced that if there was an organization in place then in, in 1914 there wouldn't have been this spin to war. But it didn't work out as he'd hoped.
0: Yeah, okay.
1: So I think it's totally ironic that the people in China that anyone has ever heard of Mao and Joe, yeah. Mao Zedong, Zhou and Lai were there. They were literally there. Mao was 26 years old Joe a little bit younger and they were the people that had the biggest impact on People's Republic. It's, uh, and Chinese history is so fascinating. Uh, from the time of the May 4th movement forward, China was on a whole new course because you know the Emperor was gone and um, they, there was no more Emperor. There's a movie, The Last Emperor, and there was no more Emperor of China and there was a, a period of warlord ru- warlord rule until Chiang Kai-shek pulled China together in 1928.
0: Okay. And he ruled China. Okay.
1: okay. Uh, and then, when Japan attacked China, there was a, uh, a paper, you know, an on-paper uh, unity between the Communist Party and Chiang Kai-shek, but um, they hated each other's guts. And, yeah. Uh, that lasted until the end of the war. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah And yeah. then. To Truman sent Marshall, General Marshall to China that when the conflict broke out between the Communists mm-hmm. and, and uh, Chiang Kai-shek, uh, Truman sent Marshall mm-hmm. to China and Marshall came back with the idea that because Chiang was not going to use any of the, the funding that was coming from the United States to help his people, he was going to put it all to mm-hmm. the military. And that led to a lot of desertion on part of the Japanese oh, yeah. people. Yeah. They went to the communist side.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, America gave enough money uh, to keep Chiang Kai-shek afloat mm-hmm. and enough money to turn the communists against uh, America forever. And, uh, and then when the McCarthy era, 1950, at the very same year that the Korean War broke out, um, McCarthy went on his rampage and it was the domestic fight against communism. And he stripped the State Department, the US government, yes. of the experts that knew that the Chinese communists were a legitimate political force and that they were not tied to the Soviet Union and what they, the ideology that propelled them and the popularity that they uh, had in China. And when those experts were gone... That's right. That put America in a position where there were there was nobody to sound the alarm. There were no experts on Vietnam. That's right. And when America got deeper into Vietnam, there was nobody to say. And unfortunately, from my perspective, that's where we are today, because we are watching an administration that has gutted our State Department and is yes. removing anybody that doesn't agree with their uh, extremist, right-wing ideology. That's and right. we are setting ourselves up. It, it will take a generation to restore the State Department from what the Trump administration has done. And so we're setting ourselves up for the same kind of disaster. There's no one to to speak up and, and provide the sound thinking that's needed. Yeah, and that's uh, what happened in the 1950s and 1960s.
0: Yeah, because the State Department was gutted. Mm-hmm. People accused of being a communist, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it took the experts out, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the wise men didn't have that expertise mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to make those decisions, mm-hmm. and so we got in Vietnam mm-hmm. without
1: much. You know, there was no uh, sound reasoning. There was no
0: pushback against that plan. So yeah, the CIA, yeah. Uh-huh. CIA first in, uh, mm-hmm. got involved in Vietnam, and, mm-hmm. and they didn't have mm-hmm. that expertise mm-hmm. either. Mm-hmm. So yeah that that was a total disaster. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: and i I always in my classes at JCC, uh, I use the Treaty of Versailles always as an essay question. I was thinking about I probably read I don't know thousands of essays on the Treaty of Versailles because it marks such a major turning point in the twentieth century. Uh, and then it it because, there was the war and the treaty, and then everything that followed. So it just marks a major uh, break there, and and I'm I'm convinced that it, because of its global implications, it is just a a topic of unbelievable importance, epic proportions of epic proportions, and it is the 100th anniversary, which gives it a little, uh, you know, and, and on the Chinese side, with regard to the May 4th movement, Uh, Derby Day, you may hear about that and I envision I expect that there would be efforts um, Security will be beefed up There will be efforts to make sure in in China this year that there's no repeat of those student demonstrations 30 years ago there were a number of um, events in China that uh, sparked the student uprisings that we're more familiar with. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was, but it did, it did correspond. Well, Uh, there were favorable leaders that were, had been discredited. Uh, There was Deng Xiaoping's um, economic reforms. Yeah. All to the good, except once you have more money, what do you want next? The right to vote. (laughs) You you know, that goes hand in hand. (laughs) And okay, you can make money, but you are not going to have a say in the government. So there was a, cr- a clamping down, and the students protested, and then we remember on June fourth, yeah. the protest came to an end. Uh, I don't expect anything quite that dramatic this year, but it's a, it's an important time in China because one thing about the Chinese they do focus on their anniversaries in okay. a very big way. Okay. So, mm-hmm. um, and then I don't know what will be the response on maybe not even get a bit of notice on um, June 28th, with the anniversary of the, the signing of the treaty. I'm not sure how that will play out this year. Maybe it'll be a big yawn and shrug, I don't know, but because um, we got so much else going on. But um, anyway, it's it's it, it's monumental uh, time.
0: Uh, so, Titi, in China now, sort of a capitalistic, socialist...
1: Well, no, they, they, the Chinese Communist Party that Mao and Zhou were instrumental in, and... Uh, set up the people's, they are still the party of China. Now that communist controlled government is very much interested in making money. So they have you know, unleashed mm-hmm. all that. Uh, but it is a communist system. There's no doubt about it. And the leader now is Xi Jinping.
0: Jinping, yeah.
1: Yeah, Xi. You would call him Xi is the way he spells his last name. Okay. Yeah, and you would say he would be referred to by his family name is Xi. And he's an interesting character in his own light um, because he came to America as a student, uh, exchange student, and yeah. he, he was in mm-hmm. Iowa.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, so he knows America from the heart, literally. And the, the town he lived in, it's somewhere along the Mississippi River, I can't remember, uh, he, they embraced him. And, and he holds it near to him. But he is a power-driven individual who is all for China, and as America gets itself all wrapped up in the craziness we're experiencing, China has every advantage in the world. Trade trade wars are probably mm-hmm. not gonna work out well yep. for us. and control of areas that, you know, we've got our hands full, and they're like free to operate in ways that we maybe wouldn't have imagined.
0: But China and, doesn't represent a military threat to us.
1: Uh, I'm not sure. they. Uh, They have a huge army, the army that Mao controlled, the Red Army, is still the Army of China, the People's Liberation Army. They are not tied up in Iraq. They have not blown their wad or their resources. They are a very strong, powerful military force. Hmm. And they are doing pretty much as they please. Hmm.
0: Hmm.
1: Uh, Maybe not in direct threat to America, but indirectly for sure, by causing turmoil in uh, Asian, you know,
0: So there is some concern there, yeah. So, G, let's let's get back to to uh, this topic here. One, we've got time for one last question. Okay. So, you believe mistakes made by the Treaty of Versailles resulted in many of the conflicts we see now in the Middle East today? And knowing that these mistakes should help us avoid similar mistakes in the future, we know mm-hmm. these mistakes that we have made in the past or failures and yeah. failures. Mm-hmm. Surely we can avoid, if we know these, well, we can avoid future disasters. Possibly.
1: You know, we hope that uh, if an enlightened, enlightened ideas like Woodrow Wilson's would be more widely accepted today than they were in the past, we have learned some lessons. So
0: I'm, I'm hopeful along those lines. But that is how history, documented by objective historians, mm-hmm. helps us understand mm-hmm. a path to the future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: and especially with a a, a topic of such monumental consequence as yes. the
0: Treaty of Versailles. And, and the Treaty of Versailles. So, folks, we're out of time. We want to thank our listeners for joining us today. We have been discussing the Treaty of Versailles, and the fact that mistakes made by the architects of the Treaty of Versailles has resulted in much of the conflict we see in the Middle East today. We want to thank our guest, Dr. Judy Monroe-Leighton, for helping us understand the consequences of this historical document and how knowledge of the mistakes made in the past can help us avoid similar mistakes in the future. Our program is broadcast on Mondays at 5 p.m., Tuesdays at 8 a.m., and Wednesdays at 6 a.m. Solutions to Violence is also live streamed. Just google forwardradio.org and click on Listen Live Now at the above time slots. For more information that will help you find new ways to resolve issues of conflict, go to Forward Radio, free listening on SoundCloud, and scroll down to the program that features Solutions to Violence. You have been listening to Solutions to Violence, a program of Forward Radio, 106.5 WFMP's Public Affairs Educational Programming. Our interview featuring Dr. Judy Monroe-Layton airs again June 7th and 8th. To listen to live stream, visit us at forwardradio.org and click on Listen Live Now. The Solutions to Violence program featuring Judy Monroe-Layton will be placed in the WFMP Archives Wednesday, June 8th, 2022. To visit our archives, go to our Forward Radio website, forwardradio.org, choose Program Archives, then the Solutions to Violence program that features Dr. Judy Monroe-Layton. Please send your thoughts and suggestions to solution to balance 18 at gmail.com. I'm Jim Johnson, here with Jamie McMillan. Our technical engineer is Carolyn Brooks Johnson. Thanks for listening.